Welcome to the Space Update. No, you haven't clicked on the wrong podcast. We are now part of the fantastic Total Space Network. Woo! So what was previously talking space is now the Space Update. Coming up today, we've got all the recent space news. We'll be taking a look at NASA's InSight lander, updates from SpaceX down at Boca Chica, and at the very end of the show, we'll be answering listener questions. I'm Ryan, Mr. Space Update himself, and joining me today are my wonderful co-host. I'm another Space Note. Thanks for joining today, guys. With all so got. I'm Mick Thanks for joining us. Plus, the big news this week, uh, water has been found on the sunlit surface of the moon. Plus, Starlink has moved to the next stage of beta testing and released initial costs of $499 for initial supply and installation of the dish, and then rolling monthly cost of $99 per month with the speeds of up to 50 to 150 megabytes per second. So we'll have to take another deep dive of that to that Miko again on Starlink at some point. <laughs> yeah. SLS is ready for a full duration static fire of those five massive engines on the core stage of NASA's SLS rocket. And as we predicted, um, Enrol 101 will launch sometime in November on the mighty Atlas V before the cursed Delta IV Heavy, or Delta IV Heavy if you like to call it. And that was supposed to be launched at the Enrol 44. Um, multiple delays on that one. Uh, hopefully we'll get it sorted soon. Um, this next launch with the Atlas V will use the new Gem 63 boosters, which is more interesting because they're going to be in uh, destined for the ULA's Vulcan Centaur rocket. So this next launch with the Atlas V will be the uh, first launch we've seen those boosters used. Plus, um, in the future coming weeks and so, we've got uh, many more Starlink launches and we've got confirmation from NASA that Crew-1 launch will be, has been confirmed for the 14th of November. Right, so we got some great news about NASA's InSight Mars lander. But first, let's take a quick look at the mission. Uh, Lander's full name is Interior Exploration Using Seismic Investigations, Geodesy and Heat Transport, or InSight. Gotta love those guys and or gals who come up with those names. So the lander is designed to study the deep interior of Mars, even though it's a NASA mission. Many of the science instruments came from European agencies, uh, for example, from Germany, uh, I think also from France. The mission was launched May 5th, 2018 on an Atlas V rocket, and it landed on Mars about six months later. Landing site is Elysium Planitia. Have you heard anything about the landing site? Would it be a good site for humans to land on? I believe that's the site where the, uh, they're planning on landing with the humans on Mars, isn't it? So, InSight's objectives were to place a seismometer called SEIS, Seismic Experiment for Interior Structure, on the surface of Mars to measure seismic activity and provide accurate 3D models of the planet's interior. And the funny side about this instrument, SEIS is a Finnish word that it means stop. That's probably not related here, but fun thing for me anyway. Uh, the other objective was to measure internal heat flow using a heat probe called HP3, uh, short for Heat Flow and Physical Properties Package, to study Mars's early geological evolution. Yeah, like the 
interior of Mars is quite interesting because we've studied a lot of the surface uh, where where is water where's ice where's what's the general surface of Mars made up of but the actual interior we still know very little in terms of how it's how it's made what's there underneath the surface really I think it might teach us a little bit more about some of those lava tubes that we've seen on Mars that would be uh, quite quite interesting to sort of take a deep analysis um, and, and look and see you know how vast some of them are and what might have caused them at an earlier date in Mars's history. Definitely and there's all those ancient volcanoes and um, Olympus Mons I believe it is it on Mars? Yeah yeah I think it's about 20 kilometers high and really any of those lava tubes or some volcano could be a place where humans could live someday. Pretty extreme because it's uh, a hell of a lot bigger than their uh, Mount Everest and everything. Be pretty crazy. <laughs> so you got uh, less gravity, so it won't be too bad. <laughs> yeah. So there was the seismic instrument and heat instrument, and those were the two main instruments. But there is also instruments to measure the rotation of Mars among other sensors. And I mean, there would be no rover without the camera and their temperature sensors. Even before this, uh, Viking landers have also measured Mars quakes, but the results could not be verified, so this lander's job is to confirm the existence of Mars quakes. It's quite interesting about the Mars quake, because um, similar thing on the Moon, the Moon actually has small quakes and everything like that, um, so there's study in that. And likewise on Mars, they've got to take that into account, because obviously you have all the dust storms on Mars, um, yearly, monthly, however often it is. But there's also the factor of uh, Mars quakes. We we haven't dipped stepped foot on Mars yet, so we don't know the total risks of these quakes. Are they minor tremors or are they the higher Richter scale as in on the on the Earth and to what extent do they happen and how often? It's critical, isn't it? And that's what um becoming multiplanetary is about the other show. You know, it's about discussing what's needed to get us there. And and the InSight rover definitely starts to become a pathfinder for future manned missions. Tricks of survival are learnt with these rovers and they're paving the way for these pioneers to go on and put boots down safely. Yeah, exactly. So in December 2018, uh, InSight was first to ever record uh, an audio clip of the Mars wind and before that humans hadn't heard the wind. Earlier this year uh, we got some interesting information back about the science experiments. Studies have found that Mars has active quakes, dust devils and magnetic pulses. Uh, the magnetic field is also about 10 times stronger than expected. But before we get to the latest news, what do you think about these findings? I mean, it's interesting. I mean, we're learning more and more as we go on. As uh, we've already got quite a few rovers, uh, past and present. I mean, uh, Perseverance is due to land on Mars uh, early January, mid January. Um, so again, that's got a whole host of new experiments on board, including high-resolution cameras and this uh, Perseverance rovers. Again, like so the odd one or two past rovers, it's going to have um, microphones on board so they can listen to all the sounds. Plus, plus that little uh, mini helicopter on board. So that's another another element to that that rover as well. Yeah, I really want to see that small helicopter fly. The Ingenuity helicopter is quite possibly 
one of the single most exciting thoughts of Mars missions in recent years. It's one of the things I, I, I'm surprised they haven't done it sooner, but then it's it's just all the engineering aspects of it and drones in general have only just picked up in the past in the past five, ten years, really, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. I think drones were quite expensive a few years ago, and these days on Earth they've become quite affordable. You know, a few years ago, you would see these drones as, as sort of luxury toys for millionaire playboys almost. Uh, people that had money to spare, um, that didn't mind throwing a, a small fortune at them. But now, I mean, especially with the birth of, of such technology, innovation that's coming out, you've got replica companies that are even putting them online for next to peanuts, you know. And it's, it's really good to see NASA capitalising on current technology like that and saying, OK, let's put this on the surface of Mars and let's engineer it to work there. Yeah, yeah. And just bouncing back to what you've just been talking there, Miko, I think it's vitally important that we measure all the, these quakes, tremors, the winds, and just the general environment, because until we know that, we won't know the true risks. We know a certain amount of information from satellites and the rovers, but we need to stu- study it fully before we before we venture from the moon and onwards to Mars, um, just for our own safety, if we're actually going to send anyone there. Yeah, that's true. This is probably one of the first times NASA actually doesn't have to invent something and they use technology that's already used on Earth. Of course, they had to design the propellers to actually work in the Martian atmosphere. From the start, the inside lander has had problems with the temperature probe that was supposed to dig itself 5 meters into the ground. It was quickly realized that it simply didn't get the friction needed to dig itself like in the simulations. There has been several attempts to push the mole underground and every time it has popped back to the surface. But now they have gotten it under the surface and are using the scoop to scrape additional soil on top of it while tamping it down. This will take months and further mole hammering is expected early next year. So finally some good news about the probe. Yeah, it's slowly but surely getting there. It seems that uh, they're underestimated the bedrock of what they're cutting, cutting through. Um, Whether it's uh, more crumbly than what they're expected and the, the drill bit couldn't get hold of it. Um, obviously, if it's quite quite a soft subsurface, um, it's just going to be an absolute nightmare, as they've found out, really. Yeah, it's quite tough. I mean, it adds a lengthy amount of time to be able to correct as well, doesn't it? I was reading about it and it really extends by by a great deal the amount of time it takes to dig those core samples as well. But once it's, there, once it's in there, it'll start giving us the goods, hopefully. And just, just a bit frustrating, it's going to take that long to uh, get that uh, probe down in there. Yeah, but that, that shouldn't really be a problem for NASA because their landers and rovers seems to last years instead of months they are supposed to work. So off the back of what Miko was just saying there, did you guys uh, hear the recent NASA announcement regarding water on the surface of the moon? They found it on a sunlit part of the moon, uh, which sort of supersedes the previous expectations that it was only in cold, shadowy places. Yeah, I did hear about it. Uh, it was quite interesting to see that an Earth-based uh, airplane actually made the discovery. <laughs> or the confirmation of it. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that surprised me as well. I mean, there's been previous satellites that have tried to confirm water on the moon and everything like that, but um, NASA have had some disputes with that for whatever reason. I don't know if there wasn't enough evidence or it's because that satellite wasn't designed to find that or what, but it really surprised me because I assumed there was already water on the moon from previous uh, discoveries, but obviously that's not the case by the looks of it. Um, it only found in shadowed areas up until a few days ago, but now it's being announced that um, it's actually underneath the sunlit surface, considerable quantities as well, which could bode well for um, mining and refueling on, on the surfaces of the moon. Yeah, totally. And I think um, the reason it wasn't uh, confirmed earlier is because the instruments on those satellites or probes were not sensitive enough to uh, differentiate uh, hydroxyl from water. So the sensors had detected uh, some hydrogen-based element, so it was always possible it's water. And for the amount of water, they actually do a comparison that Sahara Desert has about 100 times more water than what SOFIA instrument detected on in the lunar soil. Yeah, and it's, um, it quite surprised me, but at the same time, it didn't surprise me. You see a lot of moons, anyway, they're made up from well, the beginnings of the universe, meteorites and comets and materials that are smashed up, mushed together over billions of years to create moons and everything else. But when we, when we studied comets and asteroids, we're finding water and other minerals on there. So it, to me, it's no surprise because the moon's probably essentially made from the similar materials anyway. So in a way, I'm not too surprised at the fact and what are there from my point of view? I mean, it's going to make it interesting to see the uh, the amount of people that try and utilise this as an opportunity to create a startup looking at um, in situ resource utilisation. You know, we're seeing the birth of private companies shooting towards the stars, and I think really now would be a good time to, off the back of an announcement such as this, start designing projects to get to the moon, to start worrying about in situ resource utilisation, and, and really start to focus on humans sustaining a presence there and this water is important to that all right guys let's talk spacex and starship uh, things are really picking up pace now uh, they're hitting some key ma- milestones as well in recent weeks and uh, 99 of you may be aware that spacex's sn8 is now fully constructed barring those three raptor vacuum engines uh, the top section of the nose got lifted and fit to the main nose section of sn8 and the early hours of Friday morning last week on the 23rd for everyone in the UK. Um, fun trivia question for me going uh, another space nut. What was the name of the heavy lift crane that lifted the nose section to SN8? I'm embarrassed. I don't know. <laughs> Bluto. That's the name. It's one of the newer cranes they've got uh, on the site there. Um, they've got road closures on the 28th to the 30th. Some late morning to uh, afternoons on this this one. Um, what you suspect they're uh, moving or testing? I um, believe they've uh, changed over one Raptor engine, so I believe they're probably going to go for another static fire. What are your, your guys' ideas? You know, I think they may actually have changed the engine uh, just because it was a later version, so it could be a bit more powerful than the other two, or maybe they just found some bad data when testing or something like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, but uh, 
the, the, the main rumour, I think it's been confirmed now in the past day or so, that it's definitely going for another static fire just to prove out that engine has swapped over and everything. And um, more interestingly, they're only going to part fuel it up because those three Raptor engines, although they kick out almost half a million pounds of thrust each, all three, if they were firing, firing full, full pelts and the tanks were actually full, it wouldn't actually lift off the ground. It's not... Uh, it's not actually designed to be a sea level ground to orbit kind of rocket. So it's actually going to want to be a quarter or half fueled up to do that uh, 15k hop. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. I think they would need all six engines or maybe even seventh engine to get Starship uh, flying with full tanks. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this Starship, it's designed to be a second stage system anyway, so tests that they're doing here with hops and everything isn't vital to what they're, uh, the, end, the end game of the Starship system, but um, they're only going to fuel it up halfway on that 15k hop, so that's quite interesting to uh, to know. So they'll be limited on fuel to for that landing by the looks of it, which should be quite interesting. Like, whether it'll, it'll land or not, what are your ideas? Do you think it'll land? It's going in the drink. I think it's going to explode. I think it's either going to go sideways and not flip and land, or by some fluke it'll land, but the legs will fail. Could be coming down a lot faster, I assume, maybe. I mean, in the animations, it's quite vicious transformation at the last second, isn't it? From uh, belly flop to ready to land. Yeah, I'm quite afraid they may have problems starting the engines because uh, usually when they static fire, it's not that simple to get Raptor engines turned on. And another fun fact, uh, the uh, the high bay that the construction is just about done now, but um, Elon's just mentioned he's going to put uh, an actual bar up there, a 360 view bar. Rumours on the names, guys, what do you think? That's going to be the best place to watch launches. I think they should call it something edgy like uh you know everything else like the boring company and stuff you should just call it not a bar some rumors that everyone wants to name it something after the raptor engines or starship or something like that because i believe there's one of the creating like a cafe area just lower down um from the uh actual high base it has the first version of the starship wings so the rumors are it's going to be like a starship cafe something like that I mean, it's got to be a future mecha, isn't it? Like, uh, you know, the UFO post box and stuff near Area 51. Like, over time, those wings are just going to become symbolic and rocket nerds and space nuts from all over the world are going to flock there to get a photo in that cafe. And I think a lot of people are underestimating the Starship system as well, because um, if you look at what everyone else is doing, it's to the moon. It's not designed to go anywhere else. It's just a, a one money shot to the moon, and then that's it kind of thing. It's done. Whereas SpaceX are developing this the Starship system. It's going to go to the moon, fly around the world, point to point, go to the Mars, go to, I don't know, anywhere else, even land on uh, asteroid Bennon or whatever you want. I mean, it's a starship, it's future legacy lies in going star to star, not in our own galaxy, but, you know, the, the end game of, I feel, that vision by calling it a starship is to go to the next star and the one after and actually be a true star hopping species. Yeah, yeah, and this starship, and the Falcon 9s are deploying up to 60 Starlinks, varying when it has uh, little sats on board, um, but Starship will actually launch up to 120 satellite, Starlink satellites in one go, so it'll ramp up production on that side of things. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's actually 400 mentioned, or was it 300? So they could actually lift quite a bit more than 120. 
Yeah, yeah, because there's been another render as well of Starship having a, a larger payload area as well. And yourself and Miko, for the guys out there, we actually done a deep dive on uh, Starlink and everything else, uh, the positive and negative impacts. So if you want to know a bit more about Starlink, make sure you go and check out that episode. And more interestingly, uh, we've seen SpaceX have some issues with the Falcon 9s and their Merlin engines in the past uh, past few weeks. Um, I believe it was an engine gas generator problem. Um, automatically scrubbed the launch by the computers at the very last second. Um, Elon confirmed that uh, a little time after. But uh, by the looks of it, they're having to go through literally all the engines in the fleet. Uh, what do you guys make of that? Yeah, SpaceX is changing quite a few engines there and uh, I think to tomorrow or actually today when this episode is released, uh, there is going to be a NASA teleconference where they are talking about Crew-1. I think uh, they ac actually already said that they will launch the Sentinel-6 mission in November and few days after they will launch Crew-1 after having a close look at the data from the booster. So I kind of think it's already fixed and that's quite a fast fix because it really took like a three weeks for SpaceX to fix it. Yeah, because SpaceX and Elon, they're very quick on the mark. If there's a problem, we'll jump on it straight away, get it fixed within, I think, a matter of hours than weeks. Sometimes is from, we probably know, to be honest with you. When you're working on a SpaceX budget, because, I mean, you know, compare it to the budget that some of the giants get per launch, you know, every second counts, every minute that a team's looking at a problem that needs to be solved is another minute that SpaceX are losing money. And so to see SpaceX turn around a potential problem and actually say, okay, we'll hold our hands up, here's the issue, we're going to fix it. And then to come back in such a short time and say, we've confidently figured out what the problem was and now going forward, it should be fixed. Yeah, and while trying to fix the problem, they also launched, I think it was three Starlink missions. Yeah, it's like uh, pre-proven boosters, basically, those ones weren't, yeah. Well, I think the the very last one, that was its third flight, and the one before that, uh, last week, I believe, that was its sixth, sixth flight. I think the important key to take away from that is they were all in-house launches that SpaceX provided. While there was this ongoing issue, you know, there was no customer to destroy the payload of or to make upset these were in-house launches it was on spacex's dime and should things have gone wrong it was at their cost it was their hardware gone and really that minimized the amount of potential that this issue could have had and instead focused strategically and still got some starlink satellites to orbit and i think uh, just spinning back a little bit on that if hypothetically if there was a problem with one of those engines elon said before well, we've even seen it in very early launches if one engine fails the rocket can still fly on the right eight engines anyway so it's not the end of the world but it's not ideal to have an engine cut out yeah and actually i think they can have two engines go and then still make it and they was it in summer there was some starlink mission that lost an engine in flight yeah yeah that actually cut out on ascent i believe that yeah it was just before main engine cut off and the booster wasn't able to land because of that yeah yeah Eric, uh, I think we'll wrap it up there, guys. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. Catch you in the next episode.